You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. The first quarter of 2021 has just been completed. We're in the second quarter now. I wonder if the second quarter is going to be as interesting as the first because the first was just packed with fundamental information, technical information, all sorts of different things stocks like GameStop going up for absolutely no reason whatsoever, but no need to talk about that. But the point is that it's been a really, really good quarter for many asset classes. With me now is the co-head of SA Equity and Multi-Asset at 91 in Cape Town. His name is Chris Freud. Chris, did you have a good quarter? And if so, why? Please describe it. Absolutely, Lindsay. Greetings to you. I had, or we had, our clients had a cracking quarter. It was hard not to have good investment returns for the first three months of this year. As long as you weren't invested in developed market sovereign bonds, it all went pretty swimmingly. So these are absolutely incredible times we live in. We always say, you know, these are interesting times, but but man, these these feel outrageous. And what I mean by that is, is this is just this massive disconnect that's been going on for a year now between what we call Main Street and Wall Street. Main Street being the economy <clears throat> is still fairly uh, you know, beaten up and, and low growth or negative growth, and yet stock markets have just roared back from, from that sort of March chaos we saw last year. So, so what's been going on, and in this quarter, it was just more of the same. We essentially had policymakers around the world underwriting to people like ourselves, that they are not going to take the punch bowl away early this time. And that I have never seen such a well-telegraphed global economic boom on its way. And at the same time, you've got the guys who are supposed to sort of uh, top and tail uh, economic cycles for longevity's sake essentially saying, give it your all, stay at the bar as long as you like, because we are going to be reactive this time as opposed to proactive. Uh, We're not going to preempt anything like nasty inflation. We will wait to see the the whites of its eyes or indeed the back of its head before we even think about actually taking away monetary accommodation. And at the same time, you've had a a massive policy switch from sort of fiscal stringency over the last 10 years to fiscal, you know, just easing and profligacy. And 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 so we really do have the mother of all economic booms coming at us in the second half of this year and into 2022. Um, and, and the guys who are supposed to control the show are so worried about jobs and making sure that there's full employment, the world gets back to maximum employment, that they are prepared to sort of look past any uh, nascent inflationary scare. Yes, there is a nascent inflationary scare, as you quite eloquently put it. Uh, But you also eloquently said, well telegraphed earlier on, that phrase. So what you're saying is that the Fed has told you as an asset manager, and 91 as an asset management company, they're just saying, this is what we're going to do. And we're going to continue to do it. And if we're going to stop doing it, we'll tell you in advance. 
So I'm not saying it's an easy game, but goodness me, it's not that difficult at the moment, is it? Because there's loads of money and certain companies are doing extremely well. And there's a few dips and troughs here and there, but otherwise everything's going swimmingly. Well, not. I mean, the companies are not doing well at this stage, no. But we think they're going to do very well, including in South Africa, by the way. I, I'm, I've got yes. a lot more uh, confidence and many that even the South African growth is going to look quite rosy 12 months from now. But it isn't that simple because, look, first of all, um, we are at the sort of foothills, I think, of a long economic upcycle. And even though some sectors of the market and areas of the market, and there's some strange things happening of you know some speculative areas, broadly markets are not that outrageously expensive. So my strategic view is that we're going to make a lot of money for our pension fund clients in the next year or two. However, having said that, tactically, over the next quarter or so, I'm starting to get a little sweaty palmed because we, like you, like the rest of the world, know that the inflation numbers in April and May around the whole world are going to rocket from a sort of a base effect largely uh, petrol-driven, you know, fuel price-driven, but also the sort of uh, pricing in the services sectors around the world hit the floor. So <clears throat> this should be known information, and the markets, I guess, should look through it because they're supposed to be forward-looking discounting machines. Before you go on, but, you, you say a year or two. I mean, that's a long time. I mean, you and I might not be speaking in a year or two's time. Why oh, not, we definitely will. Why, <laughs> why not a month or two? Why can't somebody suddenly say, well, the U.S. 10-year bond yield, let me fantasize now and say it's a 2.5% in two months' time because of the oil price or because of something else. Why can't it be a month or two rather than a year or two? No, well, Are you fantasizing? What was, that's what I was worried about, a bit, actually. That's where I was going before you really interrupted me. <laughs> um, it was, I, I am anxious, in fact, that, that U.S. Treasuries – that have just popped from half a percent to 1.7 percent mm. in the last sort of easy seven months, eight months, um, can go again. Because although we in the rest of the world think that this inflation that's coming is, you know, the new buzzword is transient, okay, transition, tra uh, just temporary, it may or may not be. We don't know for sure that we're going to get this like a head fake in, in inflation and then it's all going to sort of settle down in the second half of this year. So what do markets do in the face of uncertainty? What we do is we price in some of the downside risk or downside because we're not sure. So we just think, mm, let's just price in some downside. So I'm not convinced that we're not going to have a little wobble in the next month or two in equity markets, as the market actually sees these hard inflation numbers, we're talking about US CPI, headline CPI, you know, going from 1.7 to 3.5 quite quickly. Yes. Now, that's just worrying me in the short term. So tactically, I'm not convinced we're going to make a lot of money for our clients in the next month to three. But once that wobble is out, and by the way, at some stage, the Fed is going to have to start to signal something called tapering, which basically means it's going to buy less bonds. That also has the, has the prospect or possibility of upsetting the apple cart 
Lindsay, there's, there's something else that's that's been on my mind, and 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 I I think we're at also at the start of a global housing boom. We've already seen central banks in some countries around the world getting anxious about what I'm talking about. We've already had the New Zealand uh, Prime Minister say to their central bank, look, you need to change your formal mandate to include house prices and, and general sort of uh, property prices um, in what you think about when you're setting monetary policy. And the Canadians and the Australians and I think U.S. house prices are already going up about 11% year on year. I think U.K. house prices are about to go through the roof. Essentially, the, the, the zero interest rates, which we're seeing in developed markets around the world, with the guarantee they're going to stay there for a few years, is giving everybody a free swing in the housing market. So that, together with the growth that's coming, I personally think that the central banks are going to be tested by the markets. There's sort of sanguine view that, don't worry, we're not going to put up rates until 2023 or 2024. Yes. I think that is going to get seriously, their nerve is going to get tested by the markets. How near um, term will the testing be? This is the thing, because I've, I've got a, a vested interest in this. How near yeah, term look, could it be? I mean, it could. It, you, you talked about one or two years. I'm talking about one or two months. Is there any possibility that it happens sooner rather than later? No, look, I think look, 10-year yields, certainly the U.S. have jumped recently. I personally think they are going to – they could churn around these levels uh, for a couple of months. There was a slightly technical reason why, you know, why they sort of jumped as much as they did, or which would have aided the sentiment as to why they jumped. So – I don't think 10 years are going to, you know, long-term treasuries are going to, to yields are going to go up in the very short term. But I think this time next year, they 1.7, if they were if they were sort of 2.7 this time next year, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, inflation is going to be 2 to 2.5 two at least. And at some stage, you just got to get a real yield. You know, you've got to earn something above inflation. Otherwise, why buy something that's going to guarantee you a return of less than inflation. So I can't mm. give you an exact date, but but I would say, you know, as I say, definitely within the next six to 12 months, the holders of those treasuries are going to lose a lot more money. Let's talk about South Africa now, because I'm looking at my screen and the uh, dollar rand is 1475. I mean, it was 1935, uh, Correct. around about a year ago. Maybe right. just less than a year ago. The South African bond yield at the same time, uh, the 10-year, is 9.53. I mean, this is extraordinary. So you've got a stable rand. You've got a massive yield on a South African bond mm. uh, in a country that, okay, it's got its problems, but it's uh, relatively stable compared to Turkey or other emerging markets, Brazil, mm. for example. I mean, it, this is extraordinary. And also we've got this... Business of the South African Stock Exchange, JSE indices going up, uh, particularly the small caps. I think they're up 21% this year. It's, mm. it's been a bonanza in the first three months of this year. <clears throat> you know what we're having now? We're having what we normally see at the end of the economic and at the end of the market cycle. We're seeing it much earlier than we normally do. The sort of euphoric, what I call, Gersi phase. The Gersi comes back to the market. It's happening so much earlier at the stage. All that sort of uh, speculative uh, 
SPAC behavior, Tesla, mm. Bitcoin, etc. We normally see this much later, and we're seeing it so much earlier because of we've just never had this 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 change in in policy, this change in the way the authorities are managing the economies. My my personal view is that Janet Yellen has a sort of a social conscience in the sense that she thinks it's her and the Fed have agreed with her. She thinks it's her her mission in life to to get uh, everyone working in the U.S. And that is the only important thing. And if there happen to be some financial bubbles along the way, well, we'll deal with those as and when they come and they get too serious and they burst, etc. Yes. But but the primary thing is almost like a social compact. And that is a really big change in the way central bankers think about managing the economy. Do you applaud that? I mean, do you applaud the social aspect of policy rather than the capitalistic and rapacious yeah, I mean, personally, a, a, a approach to the economy? What do you think? I mean, personally, I think it's a mistake. Um, I think that if you do the right thing, um, the economy will grow naturally and you don't need to to artificially uh, go after sort of the labor market because I think by doing that, you are in fact going to cause a boom and then a bad bust. And and the very people that you're trying to help are going to suffer in the bust. So I, I'm not in favor of this. I think that there is ultimately going to be a price to be paid for it. But there's, there's one other reason why the central bankers have changed the way they manage the world's economies. And that is because they, they saw what happened in Japan. Japan's been trying to get inflation going for, for 15 years, 20 years. Yes. And they just cannot get it going. I mean, so that's demographics, though. I mean, again, I'm interrupting you. That's nothing to no, do no. with that's nothing to do with the Japanese economy. That is to do with demographics, which obviously leads to the economy because the Japanese well, I don't know. Japanese people don't are, know. are old and they and they stay at home. They don't uh, produce children yeah. anymore, and they're getting old. Come on, that's Chris, you know theory, that. And it, it's a good theory, and it might be right, but it might not be right. We, we, you and I, we can't prove that theory. Okay, the sort of demographics impact on Japanese inflation, but and and so. I think that, in fact, even outside Japan, the central bankers in the developed world have lost street cred for a long time now because they have, the, even in the developed world, they've been trying to talk up inflation. They've been trying to get more inflation into the system. Inflation have, the actual inflationary outcomes have been way behind the inflation targets in the U.S., in Australia, in Canada, etc. for a long time. So these guys have said, stuff this for a laugh. We are actually going to to give it a full go. We're going to juice up these economies as hard as we can to get full employment, and and we might finally get inflation that 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 actually gets to our objective, you know, of where we want inflation to be at or around two percent. And and if it happens to sort of go hectically the other side, well, we've got tools to deal with that. But I think they've said. Better we do that than risk slipping into a sort of Japanese deflationary environment at the next hint of a downturn. Yes. So the, the, so the policy, the way people are managing global economies has changed incredibly. 
and it has just given us all in the markets a free go to have a go. But it's never that simple because what I think that is going to happen is I think the famous bond vigilantes, you know, now there was the, the global bond markets, the global yes. bond policemen, the, they are going to be the policemen. It's not the central banks that are going to take away the punch bowl. There's a risk that the bond market are the guys that take away the bunch, punch bowl. Your phraseology, which said the following, and I've scribbled it down on my sketch pad here, it says here, there is a price to be paid. And we've been talking about this forever. I mean, it's not just in the last year since the pandemic or the global health crisis. And it's not the 10, 12 years since the global financial crisis, the GFC. It's nothing to do with that. It's the price to be paid. We've been talking about the price to be paid for a long, long, long time. Uh, at what stage, Chris, does the price have to be paid? Or does it just just disappear because of the printing presses? No, well, we've been looking in the wrong direction, quite frankly, for the price to be paid. The price is already getting paid. Where? It's just getting paid by the people that you're not expecting it to get paid by. It's getting paid by old people. It's getting paid by people with savings. There, you know, you just you can't get any interest on your money anywhere in the world now. And and that's really what's going to happen. You've got Interest rates, bond yields, they're going to go up a bit. They're so low, they need to go up a bit more, okay? But, but they're still going to stay, I think, very low for a very long time around the world. So German bond yields are currently minus 0.3% odd. Let's say they go to half a percent plus. Yes. That's still a disaster if you've got inflation of what, between 1% and 2% in Germany. And that's that's where the price is going to get paid and is already getting paid in something called financial repression. Okay, let's come back to South Africa now. Let's not talk about German bond yields. Let's talk about South Africa now right, because this, right. is, this is where you're sitting. You're sitting in Cape sure. Town and probably the weather is 27 degrees and uh, or the temperature is 27 degrees and you're, you're looking forward to your long weekend. I'm looking at the South African market and it's shrinking. The JSC Securities mm. Exchange universe of investable securities yes. is, is shrinking. But on the other yes. hand, I think that we've got a small cap index that has gone up 21%. What does that mean for a company as big as 91? I mean, you're a massive and influential asset management company. Can you, can you look at that and say, well, we ought to be in those companies, or they're just not big enough for us? How do you look at that? Because okay. you're the co-head of SA Equity. No, really, the, the real, the, all the work is done by my colleague, a guy called Hannes van der Berg. Um, I know, I'm, Hannes. I'm He's just, a nice chap. Absolutely. I'm just the chairman, uh, the, the self-appointed chairman um, of this little area that we look after. Mm -hmm. but, but to answer your question, um, so two things. One is this is the time in the cycle when small caps do well. The, their time has finally arrived. Yes. Small, many of them are value shares. In other words, they're sort of cheaper than the market. And many of them, funny enough, in our uh, stock exchange have got uh, sort of an infrastructure uh, bent to them. Not all of them, clearly, but many of them are related to construction stroke infrastructure. I mean, what's not to love about that? Because, because this, I get to my second point now, and I think finally the businessmen in South Africa – are going to have a tailwind at their backs in the next couple of years as opposed to a raging headwind. 
Very good. And and I think that a couple of things have happened. So so one is I personally believe people are underplaying the importance of what happened in the in the ANC NEC meeting over the weekend. I think we saw for the first time uh, the sort of reformist camp, if I could call them that, flexing their muscles. We thought they've had a sort of majority control, but they've they've been sort of loath to sort of. Uh, demonstrated and to flex their muscles. And I think we've seen a very clear indication that notwithstanding more noise we're going to get, etc., that the reformists have won the day in ANC. And, and the reason why that's important is because I think we will continue to get more sensible policy coming out of the governing party and, 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 and more sort of policy certainty. Hooray if you're a businessman, if I'm right in South Africa, because you sure as hell haven't had that for the last 10 years. Okay, so I think that's that's good. And then I think the global backdrop is going to be very good for us. I think there's a global infrastructure uh, cycle. You saw what the Americans announced yesterday, but even before that, yes. many, many governments around the world are looking at a sort of building stuff and fixing stuff as one of the levers to getting economic growth going. And so commodity prices have a good chance of staying high for quite a few years, and that's great news for us. And I think generally our trading partners are going to be in rude good health for a couple of years. So so I think that, that the South African economy is going to grow, and I think we're going to come back from the fiscal pre- precipice. I think our tax receipts will grow. I think very slowly but surely our, our, our fiscal numbers, our sort of tax tax shortage, if I could say that, will get better. And and so and so it's the future of the South African stock exchange looks a whole lot better than the last ten years. On that note, on that fantastically positive note, Chris Forint is the co head of SA Equity and Multi Asset at ninety one in Cape Town. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.